Welcome everybody to the Vegetable Beat. It is March 31st, a day away from April Fools, but I'm I'm a fool today anyway. Um, this is a live weekly roundtable discussion with vegetable producers um, during the growing season um, for folks in the Great Lakes region. My name is Ben Whirling of MSU and I'll be your host today. Our faithful Zoom defenseman is Mike Reinke, also of MSU. And today we're gonna to talk about spring sprayer startup. We wanna shoo those dust bunnies away and eliminate cussing um, as you get your sprayer out of the barn. Um, and my guest today will be talking with is Jason DeVoe of the Ontario Ministry of Agriculture, Food and Rural Affairs. And, and Jason is an application specialist, also um, a contributor to Sprayers 101. I'm gonna drop that link in the chat later, check it out. He works with Tom Wolf to populate it with a lot of helpful resources. Um, we really want your questions today. If you are listening live via Zoom, please put your questions in the Q&A box. If you're joining us via Facebook Live, put them in the Facebook comments. Um, we want to get your questions um, answered from, from Jason the best we can. Um, there are pesticide credits available for Michigan applicators today. If you want those credits, put your email and um, first in name into the chat or the comments on Facebook. All right. Um, so our topic today is um, spring sprayer startup. And what we're going to do today is have um, Jason walk us through, it's really a pre, kind of like a pre-flight checklist. We're not talking about an F-16, we're talking about sprayers and trying to do everything you can to um, make it a smooth startup. So I'm going to get Jason started in a second, but I encourage you too to ask questions. Think of this as a love line talk show. Yeah. We, yeah. We're listening. So as guys are getting their sprayer out um, this spring, um, what are some things they should run through and think about to make sure it's in working order? Wow. You know, when we were talking before we started up, I mentioned, and I'll mention it again, this is, you know, this could quickly become just a bulleted list. I'd, I'd like to avoid that. So let's give some context first. I tried to write um, the step-by-step -step of what to do when you're starting a sprayer up for field sprayers and for air blast sprayers for years. And uh, every time I think I've got the list right, some manufacturer contacts me and goes, that's wrong. Don't do, holy cow, don't do that. <laughs> or what about this step? This is an absolutely critical step. And what I've come to determine is, is I have to give a little context before we start. Part one, I've got to make some assumptions about how you winterized your sprayer to begin with. That is how it went into long-term storage. If your idea of long-term storage is, thank goodness, I'm done. Let's just park this here and I'll deal with it in the spring. Then uh, you're going to have a much harder time with startup. Then again, if you're the person that hits it all with a toothbrush, tears it down to the bearings and stores it under a, a silk tarp in a heated <laughs> shed, um, I'd love to tell you that you can just hit the go button and start out. But believe it or not, there are still all kinds of things that can go horribly wrong from the last time you had your spare rolling to the time you want to get it rolling. So that's my first bit of context. The second bit is anything that you hear today if your manufacturer, if you can find that 45-year-old piece of paper saying congratulations on your purchase of, but if your manufacturer has a different series of uh, steps to go through, a different sequence, by all means, follow that. I, I can't give you a warranty on your sprayer. I'm not sure if you still have one on yours, 
but um, it's just a matter of knowing how your sprayer is designed and mechanically how it should be addressed. So uh, again, if I say anything that runs flies in the face of what your dealer says, or your ag mechanic, please listen to them. There, is that all the liability covered? Are we good? I think you did. Yeah, I think you, that, it. You, can, you can tell I work for a government, huh? <laughs> so um, let's start with this. When it is time to consider bringing your sprayer at a long-term storage, however mm-hmm. that is, uh, be prepared for the unexpected. It'll always or quite often take a lot longer than you anticipate it because there'll be something that comes out of left field that you didn't expect. So let's start with attempting to loosen or shift something that maybe hasn't moved in several months. Uh, pressure gauges will snap off. I've had them in my hand. Fittings will crack. Welds will break. When I say expect the unexpected, I just mean leave yourself sufficient time to deal with something going horribly wrong to give you sufficient time to get a replacement part. Um, I I used to say have replacement parts on hand, but I I recognize it's not everybody that's going to have a a killer inventory unless they're a larger operation and and can afford Mm -hmm. to hold those parts. But when it's, when it's getting time for spring startup, just recognize that uh, it may not go as smoothly as you like. Now, this is where I, I have to it'd be nice if I could ask people, is it an old sprayer or is it a new sprayer? If you've just purchased a new sprayer, it's, a, it's slightly different. There's some opportunity for you to start your sprayer up right. Uh, I always start by loosening and lubricating and retightening clamps. If a clamp looks loose, don't just you know give her. Loosen it off a little bit first and then tighten it back up. Otherwise, you could stretch the clamp. Um, I always back gears off before doing that. On pressurized lines, you know, often you'll see those single permanent clamps on there, or uh-huh. if you're unlucky, maybe you've got worm gear clamps. But uh, I like to up my game on those. I like to go to wider clamps. Uh, doubles are better than singles, fat's better than skinny, T-bolts are better than worm gear. And on high pressure lines, uh, double wrap, get two on there if you can. I have seen pressurized lines come loose and if you prod me later, I'll tell you the story. Um, and things get a very Marianne Antoinette really quickly. You could be a lot shorter unexpectedly if you're sitting in a tractor where one of those lines comes off. So, you know, leaning back towards the newer sprayer, um, a grower showed me this trick. Every time I tell people, they just go, yeah, obviously, but I had never heard of it. And that's taking a permanent paint pen and just marking right down the bolt, over the nut, over the washer and onto the chassis. Uh, yeah, you got to get your first scratch sometime, so you might as well start decorating. Every time you do that, it's a great visual check. Sprayers vibrate, nuts come loose. So, you know, when you're doing your 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 daily walk around, which you should do when you're finally up and going, if you see that that line is misaligned, then it's an indication that you're about to have your nuts fall off. <laughs> ben, that's what I meant. Thread release. Thread release is your friend. Uh, in fact, I'll mention this. Anytime you're thinking about using um, sort of a silicone wrap on any plumbing pieces, uh, I don't like that stuff. So anyone that's ever oh. had to take it off gets those threads everywhere. They're just an awful mess. And they end up in sensitive parts of the sprayer where you don't want globs of thread. Huh. So I much prefer uh, plumber's dope. And just to put my money where my mouth is, our dishwasher flew to pieces at the end of last week. And uh, it turned out it was a the inlet valve that was leaking and it was threaded. And as I'm desperately with a little steel brush trying to clean bits of thread out of the uh, out of the screws, um, when I finally got that out, I just 
put a little of the plumber's dope on there and screw it back in. It's, it's just so much better. So huh. take things apart, put the plumber's dope on, put them back on. Huh. Um, okay. So that's sort of some of the, the oh, and always use a torque wrench. Uh, don't, don't, I, and again, it's easy for me to say if you're using pneumatic tools and you like that sound that makes you think you're in a pit stop, great. But torque wrenches will give you far more control over uh, nuts that only need to be tightened so much. And again, you can, you can consult your manufacturer for uh, how tight nuts need to be, but over tightening things is not your buddy. So let's say it's not a new sprayer. It's a sprayer that you Uh winterized. Um, when you start that up, the most likely time for things to seize is now. It's it's when there's been a little corrosion. It's when there's been a little uh, adhesion between certain metals. Things need to be uh-huh. loosened up. As I get older, it takes me longer to get going every day too. <laughs> it's no different. So be prepared to lubricate all the parts that need to be lubricated and be very gentle as you start to move parts that haven't moved for a while. Um, more and more often, we're... <laughs> we're finding more pests or, or, you know, nature's wonderful creatures making their (laughs) homes in sprayers. Uh, I don't know if a lot of you know this, but in an effort to be a little more eco-friendly and green, a lot of manufacturers of wire have started using biodegradable insulation over their wires um, so that they're not around in 5,000 years. And I I commend them for that. Unfortunately, the mice have figured it out and they're friggin' delicious. So... (laughs) Mice tend to gobble up the insulation on on wires. It's becoming more and more of a problem. Uh, this is where the whole chicken and egg thing comes in. When you were winterizing, I've heard of lots of different ways to get rid of them or, or keep them at bay. You can do professional rodent baits and traps. Uh, I've heard people jam steel wool in certain ports to keep them out. I've even heard of really intense peppermint oil and gels to drive them off. But I'm always open to ideas. Everyone's got their own solution. Maybe just get a really hungry cat and store that with your sprayer. (laughs) Um, Belt tension, alignment, and wear. When you park the sprayer, as I said, things tend to shift, and maybe you weren't so diligent when you put it away. Look for cracked belts. Uh, Look for belts where they look like they're a little bit askew. You're going to lose a lot of energy. Uh, They're going to be a lot less efficient if they're not aligned properly. So take the time to align them, check how tight they need to be. If if you removed it when you winterized, your flow meter, um, time to put it back. Some people do on on the bigger field sprayers. You've Uh got to make sure that, you know, don't use a compressor to blow the flow meter to check if it's going, or you may be chasing it across the shed. Uh, just, just a gentle blow and make sure everything's moving the way it's supposed to. That's a, a pretty sensitive thing that can get gummed up. Pump maintenance. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I know everything there is to know about pumps. This is why I've cultivated a, a lot of people that I trust in places like HyPro, um, anyone that makes pumps to ask them these questions. But as a generality, um, oil changes might be required. If you didn't do it when you winterized it, again, it depends how fed up you are. And uh, a rule of thumb is to change your oil every 500 hours of operation or, you know, even every three months, whatever comes first, check your seals. Uh, You're going to lose a lot of pump efficiency. Maybe they got burned up. Maybe they got eaten out. Maybe you've got mice. Uh, But this is the time to get in there and check it out. Tire pressure. You know, it just seems so basic. Nobody ever talks about it. And I've tried. I've looked at tires to see what pressure they should be at. And the answer is always, it depends. Uh, how heavy is your sprayer? Has it rained all spring? Are you going to bury it to the axle? Um, 
Uh-huh. You know, mostly what I advise people do is just ensure all their tires are the same pressure. That That's a great first step. Uh-huh. Uh, there's a whole article on Sprayers 101 about wheel maintenance and bearing maintenance and how to lubricate them and take care of them. We won't get into it here, but uh, if anyone wants to go uh, learn all kinds of things about wheel and tire maintenance, that's that's the place to go. Okay, gotcha. Whew, I'm just, I'm sort of rattling this off, Ben. You want me to keep going or do you want to interject? Well, let's see. Um, why don't we keep going, Jason? Okay, we'll, we'll hit the end of the checklist and then maybe we can play around a little bit. That sounds good to me. Um, your relief valve. For a lot of sprayers, and I'm thinking particularly air blast, not having your relief valve in the bypass position when you start it up is a great way to get your liquid filled pressure gauge to, uh, you know, act like that feat of strength at the carnival. It's just, it's going to hit, the, <laughs> if you're strong enough, you're going to hit the bell. And a lot of these entry-level liquid-filled pressure gauges, they're never accurate after that. So, uh, in fact, let's look a little more closely at it. If you can't read your pressure gauge, give it the flick. If it's 50 bucks, maybe 75, if it's opaque, it's not doing the job it needs to do. If uh, if it's leaked, you know, if all the liquids come out, please replace it. If if the needle's not sitting on the zero pin at zero pressure, then it's, it's lying to you. We need our pressure gauges or some indication of pressure, no matter how sophisticated, to tell us how much flow is coming out of the sprayer and what spray quality we're using in the case of field sprayers. It's, it's a critical piece of feedback. And uh, without it, we're just flying blind. And for such little money, it's well worth doing. And when it's time to replace it, please don't grab it by the face and ream on it. I've had them snap clean off in my hands. There's a reason that there's a a nut at the bottom of it. Get your crescent wrench, throw away your adjustable wrenches. What a super way to strip nuts. The (laughs) only, and whenever I went near a grower sprayer with an adjustable wrench, the eyebrows darn near left their head until I got a (laughs) decent set of real crescent wrenches that wouldn't slip or or, uh, strip the nuts. So be prepared for that. Peel off all that tape and put your your plumber's uh, gunk on there instead. Wear and tear, I, you know, maybe it, there's no real order for this, but if something was cracked uh, on an air blast sprayer, maybe it's a, a grill to protect the fan on a field sprayer, you know, maybe you banged something and you, you've got uh, you've got a crack in the fiberglass or the, the plastic's looking a little crazed from being out in the light too long. You need to deal with that stuff now. Um, check for those leaks. Uh, make sure there's, there's nothing on the chassis that is starting to rust out. Great time to get the steel wool or a steel brush, strip the rust off and paint it. Sure, it looks pretty, but it's also, it's paint is meant to protect as well. So it might be a worthy time to get in there and and paint up a few of the rusty spots. Um, When you first start that sprayer up, I mentioned earlier, this is when things are most likely to go go wrong. Uh, That's also when things are most likely to burst. So after you've done your once over and you're convinced that everything's okay and you hook it up to the tractor just start slow uh pressurize it uh, as little as you can manage and walk it check all the linkages look for drips you can you can feel wetness you know um it's the right time to do that you don't want anything to burst off uh, when you're you're loaded with product you'd you'd rather do it with water uh further more i'm hoping when you stored it you took the nozzles off and uh, those of you that do use nozzle filters, or even if you use the inlines, the filters have to come out. I hope you've soaked them and cleaned them when they were winterizing. The, depending how you store the sprayer, this is when all the 
chelated minerals and hard water break free. Like they just dry on in there, even if you have antifreeze in the system and you should. Um, this, that first spray is when they're all going to break loose and come screaming out. And the first thing they do is plug every filter in the system. So get those filters out and blow half a tank of water and hopefully your environmentally friendly RV um, uh, preservative <laughs> antifreeze is what you've, you've used. They say it's non-toxic and it's okay. I still prefer to do it far away from water and I, I don't like to spray crops with antifreeze from an RV. I don't know. Uh, I've never heard anyone have a problem with it, but uh, it, this isn't the time to, to do that kind of exploration. So be uh-huh. smart about where you're doing that. What else could I tell you? The tractor. For those of you who aren't in a self-propelled sprayer, or even if you are, your carbon filtered cab, those carbon filters have an expiration date. No one ever thinks to look. They're like an air filter. Uh, they need to come out or they're not protecting you. They're not doing the job they should. So be prepared to replace those as well. And I mentioned the paint pen. It is your best friend. Mark dates on everything. If you can't tell what date a carbon filter was replaced, when you do replace it, that's when you write the date on it. Same with the air filters, same with any part that uh, will need some sort of replacement. We even have guys that write down when they did the oil changes right on the engine. Um, uh-huh. We even have, I've got guys that will write winterized and their name for the larger operations when things were done. I'm sure there's a bunch of stuff I've missed, but I will say that once the sprayer is ready to go, lubed up, worn parts replaced, nothing's dropped off or blown apart, uh, you're convinced that your nozzles are fine. Like, hopefully you looked at them and their rates at the end of the year. If you didn't, maybe now is the time to order the replacement nozzles. But once all that is good, it's not calibrated. Odds are you left the settings in such a way that it represented the crop when you last sprayed. Uh, for specialty crops that are three-dimensional, like orchards and grapes, etc., those settings are quite different from how they should be for the spring. Uh, for field crops, it's a, a little quicker and easier for you to make those adjustments. It's usually a matter of boom height or swapping to a, a larger nozzle for herbicide application, perhaps. Uh-huh. But recognize that how you put it away probably isn't how you want it in the spring. So I'll take a breath there. That's, uh, <laughs> that is the master list. Whew. Well, How about that? Well, Jason, you did it in less than, yeah, 20 minutes. So Yeah, see, I wanted 10 or 15 for us to play a little bit. Well, speaking of playing, if, if you wanted to go do some playing, but you also have to get your sprayer up and ready, how much... How much time should you plan on and how much free time will you get after you're done? Depending on the, depending on the complexity of the sprayer, uh, as a rule of thumb, I always say about half a day. Half a day per sprayer. Now, if you are really efficient and, and maybe you're a larger operation with a fleet of sprayers, there'll be some efficiency in that. You can hit the same part on three, four, five sprayers um, in a row. You know, it, it's, but if, you're, if you're, you're on your own or it's you and your ag mechanic, oh, and I have to say... It, I couldn't do it. I'll be completely honest with you. All these points that I brought up, I know what I'm looking for. Um, but there's always some sprayer that I don't know how it works uh-huh. or I can't find the nipple to grease the darn thing. Or is that universal cross join? I know that was thing. There was some play in it. Is this one that's going to blow on me? Which those go all the time in the spring, by the way. Um, you grease your shear pins. Make sure all your guards are in place if I didn't say it. But invest in an ag mechanic. Uh, we've got some great guys in Ontario that drive around in uh, trucks 
full of candy as far as I'm concerned. They're the ice cream <laughs> men. I love watching them work. They've just done so many sprayers. They've seen so much. Uh, if you are not sure how to work your sprayer, then, then by all means, bring an expert in that knows what needs to be adjusted, cleaned up, lubricated, and replaced uh, on your behalf. It's a worthy investment. And, you know, the time that you spend and the money you spend getting it done right is time that you're not broken down somewhere, waiting for parts that we all know nowadays, uh, getting parts is a little trickier and takes a little longer than it did before COVID. Uh-huh. So, you know, it's, it's an investment worth making, in my opinion. And hopefully it doesn't, you know, hopefully it's like insurance. You go, I, I get that guy in and I never have any problems. Correct. You know, <laughs> That's absolutely right. You didn't have any problems. I don't know if you saved yourself from having one, but whether you did or didn't, you're in the clear. So it's insurance. That's, I definitely don't know what I'm doing all the time. So I would definitely hire someone who does. Wouldn't it be boring um, if you knew what you were doing all the time? Yeah, you're right. How, how dull. Where's that the excitement? Well, um, speaking of excitement, um, one thing I wanted to ask you, you talked about nozzle tips and um, a little bit. What, um, when it comes to thinking about replacing them, you've got a big broom sprayer that it can add up a lot, but is, is it worth it? And when I'll, is it worth it? I'll, I'll confess something to you, Ben. My, my undergraduate degree six million years ago was biology and psychology. Um, I even like strange people. I'm just attracted to other people. <laughs> they fascinate me. It's, it's like anthropology. But something that I've noticed, and this is just human nature, is, what, which is why I bring it up. A grower is perfectly content to sign a bill of lading for thousands and thousands of dollars for their annual pesticide order. And uh, I've always likened it to buying a new car. You spend so much money, you're so raw from all that money. It doesn't even make sense anymore. So when they offer you the sports package, you go, yeah, why not throw it on? I can't, <laughs> I can't feel feelings anymore. Take it. Um, but when you look at the sprayer and you go, hmm, 72 nozzles, boy, you know, at $8 a piece, that's a lot of money for something that looks to me here, eyeballing it right now to be perfectly okay. So, you know, the act of reaching around and taking your wallet out of your back pocket and counting out that cash, somehow that feels very different than signing for thousands of dollars of pesticide. But, you know, let's put it in perspective for a second. The nozzles are, they're going to wear out. Like uh-huh. you can go ahead and pick your metrics. So many hours of operation, so many acres or hectares sprayed. Um, by the way, that's not great. It should be pressure. It should be uh, the nature of the products you spray and the material of the nozzle itself that dictate when they're worn out. And there are all kinds of ways to do it. Uh, but let's say they're 5%. And 5% uh-huh. arguably is really within, it's, it's, there's probably enough error in you determining flow that 5% isn't enough to throw your nozzles out. 10% sure as heck is. But let's just consider five for argument's sake. 5% of your product leaving the sprayer over and over and over again that you didn't need to spray, even if you have a rate control, and we'll get to that, uh, it's a lot of money and it very quickly outweighs the cost of just replacing the nozzles. Now, the reason I'm so adamant about flow only being one metric is that as the orifice, depending on the orifice and the material as it wears, the flow may not change, but the orifice will distort. And that means your spray quality or your droplet size will change. So even though the right amount of flow is coming out, it could be dog drool. Like it could be just the worst on non-uniform coverage. <laughs> And if your sprayer empties in the same spot every time and well, that's just good. I don't need a rate controller. I know I count trees or I know how many acres are rows. 
I got a surprise for you. And, and this isn't just, you know, some ivory tower talk. I have seen this. Some nozzles will occlude or plug while others are worn and they cancel each other out. And the, the huh. story I always tell is a ginseng sprayer, which um, if you're not familiar with it, it's a boom sprayer, but it uses nozzles that are the heads of, of uh, spray guns, the kind of thing an arborist would use to hit the top of a 50 foot tree and their targets a foot away. So it's, it's a huh. phenomenal amount of spray, but they huh. have mixing valves on them, ball valves. And if you turn a ball valve a few degrees, it just cracks open and the volume will change. And then you turn it a few more degrees, it's not linear. All of a sudden, there's a ton of liquid. And these valves get bumped accidentally. So we're walking a boom at a demo, and we're, we're, we're using a spot-on, which is a way to capture flow and measure how much flow per minute. And we're doing nozzle after nozzle, and we discover that two of them, uh, right next to each other, one is spraying 50% more than its neighbor. Or considered huh. differently, one is spraying 50% less. So we thought, let's check this out. So we had the growers walk the boom and said, uh, do you see anything, anything off, anything that would give you a moment's pause? Nope, 40 people went through there. Looks great, Soothed, like the pattern looks full, I like it. You know, uh, it's bouncing kind of huh. hard, but I'm less worried huh. about drift and more worried about, and then we showed them. This thing is putting out 50% more than its neighbor. Huh. So you can consider that either way. It's either a waste of product or the one that's putting out 50% less could be you know, non-uniform application. You're not getting the product there. Point is, uh-huh. check your nozzles and don't be so don't be so quick to think just because it looks good, it's working right. They do wear out. It is a worthy investment. It's been proved time and again. Uh, get a new set. Just just suck it up and do it. It is a very small investment and it pays big dividends. How's that for gotcha. preaching? Oh. <laughs> well, well, that makes sense. Even if your tank is emptying at the same time it always has um you may still have flow issue or you may still have pattern issues that if you're spending big bucks on some of our newer fungicides or oh good point yeah i I wish there was an easy way to tell and you know over the years i've had guys come to my lab one of the neatest ones was a portable laser system uh, it was so cool. I can't find the company anymore. So obviously huh. they couldn't make a go of it. Lasers. Yeah, it was a prototype. So you held the laser system under the spray and it didn't work on flow, but it did look at uh, pattern, pattern uniformity and droplet size. And it just went right to your smartphone. I thought it was awesome. I don't expect Ooh, growers wow. to rush out and buy one, but if uh, there were a local cooperative or, or a local dealer that offered the service huh. to come around and have a look, you know, for 50 bucks, you could check to see if you had to replace 72 tips. Uh, wow. And, you know, that's a big deal. On air blast sprayers, it's a little different. We don't care quite so much about spray quality um, because it's it's more about flow. And in both situations, rate controllers will make minor adjustments based on pressure generally to your flow. So, you know, guys don't think about it. But it's just it's so much more than flow. It, it is uniformity. It is droplet size. So... You know, if you're on year four with your nozzles, you probably pushed a bit hard. Uh, it might be worth having a look. Um, one question you got is, so we're talking about flow, we're talking about nozzle output, right? Yeah. Is that right, Jason? So um, one question we got is, what is normal variation from nozzle to nozzle? If you're Plus or, plus or minus 5% is, is okay. as, as I say, it's it's kind of the limit of what we can expect. If, if you're using a juice jug, and you got to stop watching you go, and ah, that's a minute, you know, it, you're going to be in or out for 5%. My favorite way to go is uh, a cheap digital scale one and forgive the metric one milliliter of water is one gram. So 
you can quickly figure out how much came out without worrying too much about it. You just tear the jug. That is, you weigh the jug first. Uh, on air blast sprayers, you have to use braided hose to sort of redirect what would be sideways flow into a bucket. Um, you're going to get wet. It's it's a it's a pain in the butt. Uh, the spot on is a digital method that's perhaps a little more accurate, but it also has its problems. Huh. But yeah, flow is the big indicator for for nozzle wear, and it's it's a shame that shouldn't be the only indicator, but it's the easiest one for us to to check. Gotcha. Um, another thing you mentioned you mentioned rate controllers, Jason. A lot of modern sprayers have those. Yeah. Do are those always working the same every year, or is there something? So I got to confess, I, I wish I had more experience with rate controllers. A lot of my world is is air blast, and we're still trying to convince a lot of growers that they're a, a neat idea. They've been around since the 80s. Um, there was a an original adoption problem where they were trying to put field sprayer rate controllers on air blast sprayers, and uh, the valves just, they couldn't respond to the pressure and huh. flow the way that they should have. So growers had a bad experience, and adoption was sort of limited. But more and more guys are getting them. So how does it work? There are two or three different categories of rate control. It's too much to talk about here, but each one of them comes with a manual that says, here's how you calibrate your ground speed to make sure that it is what we think it is. Uh, either counting wheel rotations or using GPS or some uh, sonar system, radar system on the ground. Here's how you calibrate the flow meter to ensure that when I'm detecting this much flow that it actually is. The reason I don't tend to talk about rate controllers with spray or startup is I've always seen it to be a calibration process, um, not necessarily a maintenance process. So if you do use rate controllers or you're considering buying one, and please buy one designed for the sprayer you use, uh, go through the process that comes with the equipment. It's garbage in, garbage out. If if they're reading the wrong pressures, the wrong travel speed, they will tell your sprayer to do things that it shouldn't do. So, you know, it, it's a shame that I can't say you can't trust anybody, but do make <laughs> sure that the equipment that's making your life easier isn't, in fact, making your life more difficult. X, okay, gotcha, Jason. Well, I think we're gonna um, we're gonna wrap up real soon. Is there any? If you had to impart one word of wisdom to our our soon-to-be sprayers out there, um, what might it be? When I tell you to take your filters out and your nozzles off and blow a tank of water through there, boy, do I mean it. Um, I have found for sprayers that are left with the lid ajar outside, they fill up with leaves, uh, they fill up with detritus and dust and dirt. Uh, dead rats, and not rats, but mice I found in tanks. Um, we did a, a spring project not too long ago, a few years back, and we were pretty eager to get out. It was water sensitive paper. We were looking at a spring calibration and the grower assured me that the sprayer was ready to go. And I, I took their word for it. Um, so the filters were in, the nozzles were on and we started spraying. We had water sensitive paper in the tree, we're ready to go. And all of a sudden, the sprayer just went, it stopped, everything plugged up. What the heck? So we took it apart, and there was what looked like chewing tobacco, just chewed <laughs> up bits of leaves and, and a, a lot of chelated hard water where I'm from. We have a lot of bicarbonate, a, a lot of hard calcium yep. carbonate, I mean. Yeah, we do too. So, you know, it, it, it tends to break free of, of uh, the tank on that first spray. And now we've got nozzle filters behind something like 30 nozzles that we have to scrub off with a toothbrush. We pulled the line filters. We did the main filter. 
we cleaned it all out. We finally got it rolling again and it seized up again. Why? Because we, we, we put all the darn filters back on. We didn't finish just blowing that tank out. So save yourself some pain and uh, pull the filters, pull the nozzles, blow that first tank through somewhere, drive around, get all the, the kinks worn out, and uh, then hit everything with a toothbrush, put them all back in place, check your gaskets, make sure you've got a tight seal. You don't want that happening when you have a tank full of product. Luckily, ours was just a tank full of water and apparently half a tree's worth of leaves. But you know, that was a nuisance of time rather than, uh, than anything else. Well, um, we actually had a question. Um, it was a question about how important are, I, I think they're talking about nozzle screens. Are, are tip filters or nozzle screens worthwhile? Depends who I'm talking to. If, um, if you're on a field sprayer, a lot of people feel it's not worth the trouble uh, because it's a lot more to clean up when you have to decontaminate a sprayer. It's a lot more to check even when you're doing a triple rinse. So it's preferred to have line filters for each section. And it's taken me a while to kind of get behind that, but you've got to be diligent about cleaning up those line filters because now that's a lot less surface area and one lost level of filtration working for you. So if you don't want the nuisance of taking all the little nozzle filters out um, and you don't spray a lot of say clay-based products or, uh, or wettable powders, dry products, you gotcha. can probably get away with the, with the line filter. But boy, you know, be really diligent about cleaning that out. If, if you're complaining because your filters are always plugging up, well, that means they're working. You, you might actually have a problem <laughs> upstream with agitation or filling. On air blast sprayers, uh, it's a little different. Sure, you can use a line filter. Uh, they generally don't come with them, but there are ways to install them. And a shameless plug for the book I wrote with Mark Letterborough. We've got a chapter on that in our Air Blast 101 book. Uh, but sometimes you need the filters to get the nozzle to seat right. The caps and the bodies are designed that you need that, that little edge on the, uh, on the shoulder of the filter to hold everything snug. So if you would like to pull those out, um, you could have a, like one of those wacky lawn sprinklers we used to play in with kids as it comes spurting <laughs> out in all directions. You may have to use a gasket to replace it or uh, change the nut you're using gotcha. so that it seats properly. So I'm gotcha. a big fan of levels of filtration. Um, but you only need to go to the extreme of nozzle filters if it's required to hold the nozzle in place and if you spray a lot of dry products. Otherwise, lean on the section or uh, line strainers and uh, be good about cleaning those out regularly or it'll bite you in the butt. Gotcha. Is copper one of those products that you'd want to nozzle screen for? I'm... If you're gonna, it's a, it's a 50 mesh. Like it, it's a funny balance. You want it big enough. You want the mesh big enough that it's, it's going to let, you know, stuff through, but small enough that it's going to catch what would plug a nozzle. So copper is one of those funny ones. Um, I like slotted fifties for, for air blast sprayers rather than mesh because they, it, it's just a little more forgiving, but you know, be prepared if your agitation is poor, that nozzles might clog. Um, I'm not really sure how to answer that, Ben. No, that's okay. No problem, Jason. Um, well, I think, well, I really enjoyed today. It was the best kind, the best time to be a host I've had. I didn't have to say much. I just got to listen and enjoy the show. I've got strong um, jaw muscles. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, I heard you've been flexing them the last two days. Yeah, it's been three days of talks, man. I, I need to come off my high horse for a little while. <laughs> um, well, I want to thank everyone for listening today and a, a special thanks to you, Jason. I, 
had the pleasure of doing a few things with you, and I, I enjoyed every time. Um, it's always fun. Thank you. Um, I did want to mention that this is oh, oh we got a reminder from Mike that um, please check out Air Blast One Hundred and One again. So I oh, that's true. Thanks, Mike. So what is that, Jason? Oh, you Air guys are you were being super gracious here. I get the full <laughs> the full plug. Do I? Uh, we a number of us got together and wrote a book on best practices in air blast spraying. It's, it's actually the second edition. I wrote the first one and then was instantly ashamed of it. So uh, I called in my peers and betters and, and we spent the whole COVID lockdown building what we think is the best, most read, readable, all physics hidden kind of book on air blast spraying that's out there presently. Um, and we published it in December quietly. Yeah, I think it really became available in January. If you go to sprayers101.com, and type in Airblast 101, you'll get access to this 300 page book, which is free. Um, you can download a digital copy and uh, hopefully you'll, you'll find some value in it. It may save you a couple of shekels, keep you safer and uh, help your products work as intended a little better. And if you're old like me and you, you prefer to have a paper book, that option is there. You can, uh, you can order that book at cost. We don't make any money off of it. it we just make sure that it pays for shipping oh. and printing on demand. So Excellent. we've had 800 copies downloaded in the last three months, and that's uh, such a niche subject. It's quite gratifying. Excellent. When I, I'll plug Sprayers 101 again. Whenever I Google something about sprayers, it comes up, and I find something useful and that I can actually understand, which, <laughs> which is saying something. Yeah, um, me too. <laughs> I can't tell you how often I read all the articles we write. I can't remember everything. I've read things that we've written, and that's really clever. Oh, wait, Tom wrote that, or I wrote that. Yeah, who knew? <laughs> well, well, Jason, you are a Canadian by birth, and and you may not know it, but I think you, you've got hockey in your blood. Hopefully I'm not, um, not bringing up any... Well, I'm stereotyping you. You're a Canadian, so you must love hockey. Well, but, I'm, I'm from Atlantic Canada, and they made me move to Ontario because uh, my experience with hockey was limited. I was shunned, shamed, and oh. sent away. <laughs> but I am learning to enjoy it more every day. Well, and, and to to bring you back into the community, you, you were gracious enough to line up a sponsor for us for today. Um, Canadian spraying fans and hockey fans alike enjoy tuning in to hear the winsome wiles of um, Jack Cherry and, and Tom McLean as uh, on their Nozzle Night in Canada show. And they asked us to share um, a little clip of a recent episode. And I wanted to play that for you all right now. It was good of them to do a Nozzle Night in Canada for us, wasn't it? Tom McLean, and welcome back to Coach's Corner, where we're discussing highlights from the National Nozzle League playoff series between the Course Droplets and Defines. As usual, I'm joined by Jay Cherry. Jay, do you have any thoughts? That game tonight, are you kidding me? It looked like a tea party out there. Were we watching the same game? Didn't you see the buffer zone fail as the players drifted offside? <laughs> it's a lively turbo T-Jet to air mix, air mix to ultra low drift, sending it to mini drift, who closes in. No, wait, it's a penalty. First of all, before we go any further, 
Let's have 10 power plays for the course droplets and 10 for the fines. Let them play the game. There's too many regulators. I put up with this all season. Come on, let's see some spraying. Low Drift Max makes another stop, and the veteran conventional flat fan sweeps in to catch the rebound. He's being chased down, drift away chance, stolen away by Guardian Aaron. Oh, that's gotta hurt. Cash that check and take it to the ER. Well, that seemed like unnecessary violence. But I know you won't be happy until it's a three-hour fight interrupted by hockey. Yeah, there are still some people out there that don't like fighting. Like those European nozzles, who can even pronounce them. Lechler, Lethler, whatever. We need some good old brass nozzles that have a history with the boom. Enough of this ceramic nonsense. And it's stolen away by a combo jet, and he sprays, and... Now, I gotta say something. Now, this isn't funny what I'm gonna say. Now, listen up, kids. That was a tipped shot. A hollow cone tried to get it over the blue line. It come out over our heads and hit this fella in the side of the face. I tell you, when you comes to the games, keep your eyes open. I've seen some awful smacks. I don't think the hollow cone was going to hit anything. It looked more like it evaporated. What a whip! I guarantee if that fine fired out of a lower boom, that guy wouldn't have got the injuries he got. He breakaway chance. Fires from fence row nozzle. He shoots. He scores! You know what I think about these out-of-town teams doping with adjuvants. The fines still drift in offside and the refs are blind to it. We should be seeing massive hits from the courses, but they just cherry-pick from the red line. Oh, come on, man. So, with the fines penetrating deep into the net, what do you think of the courses' Those chances? Those courses will bounce. They'll do something. I tell you, there aren't many of them, but I love them so much. And that's it from Coach's I don't Corner. care what happens. These guys will be known for miscoaching the National Nozzle League. The instant replay on what a sensitive paper will tell the tale. Hey, where's my dog? Well, that, yeah. What can you say about that? Well, what I can say is, wow, what a what an interesting pair those two make. They were, uh, they were certainly aggressive in Canada. It was nice for their doppelgangers to join us here. Yeah, it was. It was nice. They... They made time for us, and boy, the money is sure flowing in from their coffers. So, <laughs> um, so check out Don Cherry, guys, if you have not heard, heard that before. Um, someone on this this webcast might have done a good impression. So listen up, kids, as he likes to say. Um, <laughs> we won't name names. Let's just say that when I read to my kids, I do all the voices. <laughs> Well, I've got two high-pitched gnome and growly bear, so I, I could learn from you. Well, I, I got yelled at. We, uh, we started Harry Potter years ago, and that became suddenly a cast of hundreds, and my kids would accuse me of, wait a minute, how come Hagrid sounds a little like Voldemort and Voldemort? Because I'm not a bird. I don't have a Cyrix, <laughs> and I, I can't. I'm trying. I was muffling my mouth and pushing on my throat and pinching my nose. Anything I could do to get a unique voice. Don Cherry was tricky. <laughs> well, you put off, you pulled off his Boston ugly mug pretty good. Hey, I'm really glad that you liked it. <laughs> well, with that, Don, um, thank you again for being with, here today, Jason. And um, thanks to all of our listeners who are listening live or um, on the recording. Um, again, if you want pesticide credits, please put your name and email in the chat or the, or the Facebook comments. Um, this show is actually brought to uh, brought to you by the North Central IPM Center and the Great Lakes Vegetable Working Group. Tune in next time, same bat place, same bat channel, to learn about plant defense regulators. And do they work? How do they work? And could they work for you? Um, 
thanks again, everybody, and have have a good day. Spray safe, play safe, and enjoy the sunshine if you got it. We'll, we'll talk to you all later. Thanks for having me, guys. You guys do a great job. It was my pl- our pleasure, Jason. Thank you again.